In today's episode, I talk to Mark Paulson. His mantra is to build better stuff and to talk about it in a better way. Mark built his consultancy firm, The Langcat, on this very principle. Here, Mark tells the story of his journey from corporate marketing guy to building a unique brand from scratch. Listen to his passion for better communication and how we can all make things easier for clients to understand. That's all right here in episode 50. Yes, that's episode 50 of the Marketing, Protection and Finance podcast. Welcome, you're listening to the podcast for financial services professionals looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of marketing, protection and finance. episode, you can find the show notes and links to things we talked about at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. So let's get on with the show. And here's your host, Roger Edwards. Hello, and welcome to the Empath Podcast. This is a milestone. Episode number 50. We've been going for almost a year. I want to start episode 50 by thanking you all for your support, your encouraging feedback, your motivational emails and your reviews. I wanted a special guest for my half century episode and couldn't think of anyone better than Mark Paulson. Mark and I share a passion for marketing, clear communications and doing things differently and better. Mark's also a very funny guy and always a joy to listen to, so I hope you enjoy what he has to say as much as I enjoyed recording the session. Before we get to Mark's interview, though, can I just ask you for a favour? To support episode 50, please can you tweet your support and include the hashtag empath50, that's M-P-A-F-50. I've included a great big blue button on the podcast homepage at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. Hit that big blue button and it'll create a pre-written tweet which includes the hashtag empath50. Then all you need to do is tweet it. Then at the weekend, I'll enter all those tweets into a prize draw and one lucky tweeter will win a bottle of Verve Clicquot champagne. So please go and hit that big blue button or just use the hashtag MPAF50 in another tweet that you send in the next few days. Thanks again for plugging the Empath podcast into your earphones. Now let's get to that interview with Mark Paulson right here on the Marketing, Protection and Finance podcast. Let me introduce you to my guest today, and he is Mark Paulson. Mark is the principal of The Langcat, the leading independent platform pensions and investment consultancy based in Leith, Edinburgh. He's a well-known straight-talking media commentator and author and a prolific tweeter. So, Mark, welcome to the Empath Podcast. Hey, Roger. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. And you're down in Bishop Stortford at the moment, aren't you? You're going to do an after-dinner speech. I am. I have literally no idea where I am. If you asked me to point to it in a map, I couldn't. And uh, I am doing an after-dinner thing at an industry event tonight, which basically means I can't have too much wine at dinner. So you've actually got to stay sober until after the dinner. That's it. And then Catch uh, up. I guess... Yeah, try to play catch up, that, <laughs> which is generally a very bad idea. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Mark, I've wanted to have you on the podcast for quite a long time. You and I share 
Quite a bit of history used to work together at Scottish Life a long, long time ago, but we also share a bit of a passion for clear, concise language and the fact that we should be using a lot more of that language in financial services. And just as a coincidence, I was reading today the FCA's new paper, DP5 Oblique 15, is all about a discussion as to whether the insurance industry, indeed the financial services industry, should be talking and communicating a lot clearer to its customers. I wouldn't have thought there was much need for discussion about that, would you? Well, I'm surprised it was from the FCA. I thought it might be from the Department of the Bleeding Obvious. Um, <laughs> we should move past the fact that uh, they're late to the party and celebrate that they've turned up at all. I think there's an increasing number of people getting into this now. And the idea that we can keep talking in the way that we have, not just in terms of impenetrable language around terms and conditions and product features and all that kind of stuff, but in a kind of parent-child way that the industry has talked to the people on whom it depends for its lifeblood is, I mean, it's ridiculous. And uh, you can see pockets of, of good things happening. But uh, just by way of illustration, I opened a direct platform investment account the other day. Uh, the terms and conditions are 110 pages long, and they sent them out on a CD. Uh, and that's from a very large stockbroking firm. We've got a way to go. I don't think the manual on my car is that long. <laughs> well, let's let's encourage everybody to at least read the FCA's discussion document. But I let's, think so. Let's all agree with it. Clear communication. No passive sentences. I hate passive oh. sentences. You know, let's not let's not get onto passive sentences. We'll be here. We'll all be here. Night. <laughs> and you can't be here all night. You've got a speech to deliver. Mark, That's right. you started a company called The Langcat. And I'd like to talk a little bit today about where the Langcat came from and how it started. But first of all, maybe tell the, the listeners of the Empath podcast a little bit about yourself, Mark. What makes you tick and where did you come from? And then what are your ambitions and where are you going? Oh, my goodness. I'm Mark. I live in Edinburgh um, and I run a business called The Langcat, which is a consultancy which works with platform providers, fund managers, wealth managers, and SIP companies in the main. And broadly speaking, we try and get them to build better stuff and to talk about it in a better way. My background, as as you know fine well, Rogers, is with large product providers, so I definitely have some blood on my hands. Um, but that was my background, and I, I found that the thing that I really liked was taking the phenomenally complex stuff that the industry built. So an ability to translate that into something that uh, advisors or occasionally even clients could understand, that was the fun bit to me. I always felt that the industry did walk around as if it had a big old stick up its butt. You know, it was, mm -hmm. it was tremendously self-important. And I enjoy puncturing that kind of stuff. So for most of us in most of our working lives, the way we kind of enter the world is through language, mm. right? Some, some of us enter the world through numbers, but they're called actuaries and, yep. and nobody likes them. So uh, we'll put them to one side. But whether you're an advisor, um, a consultant, a product designer, uh, someone designing websites, somebody writing for a newspaper, somebody just doing a job in an office, it will be words and the use of language that will make you get through the day. And in the main, the quality of written communication, um, there's lots of reasons for this, but the quality of written communication is phenomenally bad. And I wondered when, when I was setting up this business, what happens if you combine kind of knowing the technical stuff with being able to talk about it in a way that kind of puts all that to one side? And there's not many people, I don't think, that work that way. Usually, 
when we know what we're talking about, whether we're an advisor or working for a provider or whatever, the temptation is to demonstrate our knowledge, to show what we know. And we do that through using long words and very complex sentences and, and all that kind of stuff. But if we try to simplify and if we don't take ourselves too seriously and if we allow the fact that others might have different views or that there's more than one way of seeing the world then we become much more open you almost can't help it um so a lot of what we do it's a very long answer isn't it um <laughs> a lot of what we do is about trying to be good at that ourselves and about trying to get other people to do it as well how do you think we got into this situation where we make language and indeed our propositions and products so complicated is there almost an element that we think that it has to be complicated and, and verbose in order for it to sound professional or is there maybe a fear factor there that something simple can't be compliant we've got to use big words to make it sound legal yeah i think there's probably two or three things and one is absolutely that and then interestingly that paper that came out today deals explicitly with that point mm. uh, and i'm paraphrasing but it says don't try and shelter behind regulation there's nothing in regulation that says you've got to make stuff complicated no in fact regulations says you must be clear, fair, and not misleading. But um, there's a couple of other things in there. First of all, clever people make things complicated. I think it's called the curse of knowledge, isn't it? I think it is. And uh, in my experience, and I I don't know if you're the same, that this industry is full of very clever people. And uh, one of the ways that you, you know, you get better jobs and more money and stuff is is to demonstrate your cleverness. And that naturally kind of leaks out. Happily, I'm not burdened by any any level of cleverness. So that's not a big deal for (laughs) me. But um, um, there is another thing, though, I think is really important and for the advisors that listen to your podcast I think it's, it's crucial which is that the, the provider sector the life co sector in particular outsourced client contact and caring about clients I think to advisors a very long time ago yeah. probably 30 years ago or so and when you do that uh, and you don't have to worry about speaking to the end client anymore you can you kind of breathe a sigh of relief because the only people that you're really communicating with are experts because yeah. advisors in the main are product experts because they have to be uh, and so they understand you know back in the day what, what a bid offer spread was or what a loading is or what a, a market value adjuster was and nowadays what you know an ad valorem charge or a, all this kind of they kind of get it even mm-hmm. if they're you have to look bits of it up they kind of get it so we get lazy and we forget that we need to unpack these kinds of things for people who have like normal jobs maybe build things or uh, or work in a shop or or do or doctors or do whatever it is they do actually doctors are quite interesting because when you and you talk to them one of the things that they, most of them I've found that are brilliant at is talking to you in a language you can understand about what it is that they do that's absolutely right i agree with that and we don't do that um we we allow ourselves to be hamstrung by our own kind of code our short code that we use because I don't want to have to tell my mum that the reason there's a clean share class is before that it was 150 basis points that paid a retrocession to a platform of 25 and 50 to the advisor and then PS13 one killed that and then when sunset comes around then that's going to change that again but of course you can't I, who, I mean everybody's left the building before you finish your <laughs> sentence right? eyes have glazed so over <laughs> yeah exactly I mean I'm boring myself um <laughs> So there's going to be another way of doing it. I read a really interesting bit of research from AXA, and they were testing language around the new pension freedoms. Okay. Uh, and the two words that resonated, this is all the kind of one-way mirror focus group type stuff, uh, were pots and buckets. Those are the words that worked. <laughs> so the Langcat was all about, as you say, 
building better stuff and communicating better. And you focused in on platforms. Was there a was there a light bulb moment, Mark, when you were I don't know sat in a pub or a coffee shop somewhere and you just thought, wow, there it is, the Langcat, and that's what we're going to do. Well, um, before I uh, set this up, I did the marketing for a, a very large um, advisor platform based in Edinburgh. Um, and uh, I guess no names, no pack drill on a thing like this, but yellow and blue were colors that um, featured heavily. And then that wasn't going to be what I was doing anymore. So I was, I was thinking about what's next. There are other providers you can go and work at and all that kind of stuff. And I looked around and none mm-hmm. of it felt very interesting at all. So I was kind of thought, well, look, you don't often get a chance in a market to to go and set something up. So I had a chat to a few people about, you know, if we tried to bring together technical awareness and ability with an ability to communicate, would that be something that would be of interest in, in some way? And a few people were nice enough to say yes. So I was thinking about how we'd set it up. And um, while I was doing that, this song was just stuck in my head and it is a song by an artist from Fife called James Yorkston and it was a song called A Lang Cat. Lang is just Scots for long and it was from a record called Lang Cat Crooked Cat Spider Cat and it's a instrumental record so you'll have you'll never have any idea why any of the songs are called what they're called but the name was just going round and round in my head and eventually I thought well look I kind of felt most people either set up a company that was just their name. Well, that's all right. I mean, it was fine. It could have been Mark Paulson Consulting or something. Um, but I wanted to build something. Um, so that felt limiting. And then if you don't do that, you sounded like a team name on The Apprentice. <laughs> you know, yes. Like, like, team Thrust. And uh, that was just silly. Um, and this kind of fitted because it's... Um, it means nothing, right? It, it means a long cat. It didn't mean anything. And that was kind of cool to me because I, I didn't particularly want it to be of the industry. So I didn't want to make it too financy. I, I mean, I do a lot of public speaking and a, and a lot of writing and, and I, I love uh, being up on a stage and, and, and doing those kind of things. I mean, if you just put me in a room with, you know, loads of people and you got to go and do the networking thing, I find it very difficult just to go up and chat to people. I get a bit shy. I find it quite hard. When your name badge says the Langcat, the first thing everybody does is look at you and say, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> and it's a wonderful icebreaker. And it also shows clients of ours, you can make a name or a brand mean what you want to make it mean. And mm. you do that by your actions rather than a particular color uh, or a particular kind of name. The Langcat, again, it's interesting what you say there about the Langcat doesn't actually mean anything. But actually, to me, when I hear the Langcat, I do think about what you stand for as an individual and and your company. And you stand for simplicity. You stand for cutting through the complexity of the platform space. So I think you have done a fabulous job of building that brand and turning something that as you say, doesn't mean anything into something that I think means a lot. I, that's really nice of you to say, and we try to stay true to it. And sometimes it means taking the piss out of ourselves, you know? Sometimes a bit of pomposity does creep in. And one of the great fun things I think about the industry at the moment, particularly with um, the vibrant and growing use of social media that's out there, if you ever find yourself taking yourself too seriously, there's no end of people who are very happy to let you know that that's what you're doing. (laughs) And uh, I, I enjoy that very much. So you have this purpose for the Langcat, cutting through the complexity, building better stuff. What were the challenges that you faced getting the Langcat off the ground and how did you overcome them to make them work, Mark? I was terrified. Left the job I was in, 
you know, I, I was a made redundant, so um, I didn't have a lot of choice. I hadn't had long service, so I didn't have a lot, any money behind me. I had a baby on the way and a deep desire to not get another corporate job. So the, the challenges were all of my own making, mm. I think. I, that sounds horrifically glib, right? But mm. it really was. But there was that kind of moment. I remember I was sitting in my car. I had to get up the, the courage to, to phone a couple of guys. And I don't know if I should say names or not, but there's one I'd like to say. Um, he was Dave Ferguson from Nucleus. Um, and another guy called Paul Goodwin, who I worked with at, at uh, Aviva, uh, who worked at Aviva at the time and who we'd both worked with, Rog, back, Indeed, in, back yeah. in Scott Life days. Um, so these are guys I knew. I phoned both of them up and, and said, look, this is happening. I'm thinking about setting this thing up and I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but I know that I want to try and change how we talk as an industry. I know that I want to bring the technical understanding that I've got and maybe eventually other people have and, and be able to surface that without boring everyone to tears. And as a result, maybe we build better propositions or, or customers, you know, become more engaged or something like that. When I've worked out what it is, can I pitch you, right? I'm not asking for work. I'm just saying, once I've worked it out, can I come and talk to you? And these two guys basically were responsible for the company starting because they both said, well, absolutely, of course. And, um, Paul, who, who was working for Aviva at the time, said, right, well, bugger that. Never mind all that. We need help here, 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 and here. <laughs> right? So <laughs> when, can you, when can you get here? Kind of thing. And um, Dave was also incredibly supportive, and lots and lots of other people were as well. And what you realized was that the world is full of people who want you to do well. Yeah. And actually, if you're brave enough to put yourself out there, then in the main, people will support you. And then it's about having the the patience to either build what you're building and then bring it out there or if you're very lucky people will help you and and give you you know something to work on while you do that and so you, you kind of evolve with the work that you do i was incredibly lucky you know if those two guys hadn't answered the phone well i don't know <laughs> maybe, maybe um, you might be back all, in a big corporate by now <laughs> yeah having a brilliant time i absolutely love it um, and uh, I think one of the things that I've learned is, God, it's really hard to say this stuff without sounding like you're doing a self-help book. But, um, <laughs> but if you can just kind of man up a bit and um, make the phone call or write the stuff, yeah. um, get over the white page, you know, and just write things. If, it's, if it sucks, it sucks. Right? It, work, content something tangible that sucks is better than nothing at all because things that suck can be made better uh if you stay at thirty thousand feet and speak in concepts never kind of deliver then nobody knows what to make of you if you're happy to to actually do the work and to deliver then i think that's how you get somewhere and, and the one thing that coming out of the corporate environment reminded me was that i love writing and I love communicating and I I get a huge kick out of finding different ways to talk about things and then I as we grew I surrounded myself with other people who felt like that and so we we managed to keep that feel together but but the, you know the, of course there's lots of other challenges right getting banking sorted and getting an accountant that it doesn't isn't a criminal and uh, but you know the 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 majority of barriers are perceived um, and then there are some real ones, but you can't 
really focus on the real ones, which are all the classic ones about do, does anybody else do what you do? Are they better? Do they charge less or a lot more? That can be a barrier in itself. I, I lacked massive amount of confidence early on and didn't charge appropriately for a lot of what we did mm. and that had uh, an immediate impact and we got work but once i twigged that we you know we i mean just distressingly underpriced um one one very senior guy from a big provider that we did a piece for uh called me uh after a beer one time called me a bloody idiot <laughs> uh he said you should, if you charge us three times that amount we'd still have thought it was a bargain mm. in fact you could have charged us four times we'd have beat you down down three times and then high-fived each other that we've got a great deal. And so learning to price, that's a really hard thing to do. Learning how to sell without it being uncomfortable for both you and for the prospective client, that's really hard to do as well. Learning to be proud of what you deliver, that's really hard to do. Um, the, the best, kind of most healing lesson I ever had was that people generally want people to do well. Uh, and that was awesome. I found that as well. Um, setting up my own business as well. People, on the whole, want you to succeed. <laughs> the next question I usually ask people on the podcast is, what's the one big idea that you'd like people listening to the podcast to take away from the experiences that you've had? You've sort of already given us quite a few big ideas there. Sorry, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Real value, real value, Mark. I mean, the, the point you made about pricing phenomenally important because we live in a extremely competitive world now where pressure is down 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 you you can go on fiverr.com and get somebody to write you a thousand word article for five dollars you know the tr trouble is it'll probably be rubbish and you you have to stick to your guns and charge the price for the value i mean you've got 20 odd years of technical and uh, industry experience and, and that's <clears throat> that's worth that's worth paying for you know the uh, the joke that gets told sometimes about the the guy that maintained the machines in the big factory and then he was made redundant and they got they outsourced it and all that stuff and then the machines stopped working and they couldn't fix it and couldn't fix it and couldn't fix it and then eventually somebody phoned Davy up and said Davy is there any chance you could pop back in? We'll make it worth your while. We just can't make the machine work. Yeah, I know it's a bit weird, but we, you know, would you be all right just to pop in and say hi? And he said, yeah, of course I will. Yeah, I came in, looked at the machine, got a screwdriver out and turned a screw about half an inch and the machine started working again. <laughs> and they said, oh, thanks, mate. That's brilliant. Really appreciate it. You know, let's buy a, a bottle of whiskey or something. He said, oh, I'll drop you an invoice. And he did. And it was for £50,000. <laughs> um, and they said, well, what the hell is this? He said, sorry, sorry, I'll do you an itemized invoice. And it was um, time for turning screw uh, ten pounds. Knowing which screw to turn was forty nine thousand nine hundred and ninety pounds. <laughs> and uh, there, there's something in here about the right tool for the right job, right? Because in my experience, and I think this is applicable to to advisory firms as well, that where you use generalist kit um, or people, um, you get a generalist job. So I saw and still see many firms burning very, very large amounts of money with agencies, often very high-profile London agencies, yeah. uh, to get them to write their stuff for whatever else. And, you know, you saw it at Pension Freedom Time, time after time, well, we've got, you know, Edwards, Edwards, Edwards and Edwards to uh, to write us this thing and we've paid a hundred grand for it and brilliant because it's by the guys that did, you know, the adverts for whatever. Well, that's amazing, man. And I guess you got to go to some nice offices and, and you know, have a coffee in Shoreditch or something. But that's brilliant. But in the meantime, they have no way of understanding your product. 
right? Because they were doing biscuits last week. Yeah. They're doing cars next week. And then they're doing, outside of kind of prescribed pharmaceuticals, the single most regulated and complex thing you can basically do is financial services. And you expect them to get what advisors are going to need to know about this product and write for that audience. That's just not going to happen. So our thing is, you know, we, we, we will charge you considerable amounts for copyright, but we know what we're doing. Yeah. And draft one will be pretty close to it. Draft two will be on it. Uh, and if there needs to be a draft three, you know, then something's gone wrong somewhere. And has there been anything that hasn't worked so well as you develop your business? And have you had to modify your approach as a result of feedback or as a result of something that's happened? Um, yeah, I mean, I've got to screwed many, many things up. So, um, oh gosh, well, I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the things that we do is provide quite detailed charging analysis on total cost of ownership okay. for platforms, right? And we do it for SIPs as well and, and all that stuff. And these, these tables that we do, which are heat maps, they, they're done by a guy called Steve Nelson, who, who works in my firm that again, you might remember, yeah. uh, as an ex-colleague of both of ours. And Steve's a genius at doing this stuff. And, uh, we did a bespoke one for, a large platform. They wanted to talk about how they were relevant for a particular client segment in a particular way. Um, so we wrote some stuff for them and we provided a, a bespoke thing and that went out and it was wrong. It was just wrong. Right. And, you know, there's no, there was no hiding it. It was completely wrong. And this was like, well, we checked this. Like, you know, four people checked this. AI check, you know, and that, that's a lot. Um, and we all know what we're doing. And it was right. It was right, man. What's going on? And uh, it turns out that in the engine that Steve's built that does the calcs, um, a question mark or something or a dollar sign or whatever it was, was in the wrong place in the oh. code. And it pulled something from the wrong table. Right. And so it was just wrong. Now, the client jumped up and down on my head like you would not believe. Um, so obviously, we fixed it and all that kind of stuff. But what was underneath that was that nobody else in my business was able to check Steve's code. We could take his output and then check that what we designed and what we wrote and the, the beautiful looking brochure that we created or whatever matched the output but there was nobody in the business who was smart enough to challenge Steve on the code right. and we just didn't have anyone and uh, basically we were setting him for failure because the dependency on that one guy uh, was just too much and because he got it right pretty much all the time yeah it never been an issue and so very quickly after that the next guy we recruited who honestly we couldn't really afford to recruit at the time mm -hmm. was somebody who was good enough to challenge him right and then we concentrated on kind of growing and teaches you tons of stuff part partly about key man dependency but partly about if quality and accuracy is part of what you do then you need to have a challenge environment that with people of similar or greater skill set to challenge the people doing the work it's not enough to have a smart guy you got to have two smart guys. Lots of fabulous lessons for business here, Mark. I hope everybody who's listening to the podcast is writing all of this stuff down because it's really good, or at least they'll be rewinding it and listen to it again. I heard this this phrase on the internet the other day on another podcast, value bomb. Now, I think that just sounds awful, but you've been dropping a hell of a lot of value bombs. Very briefly, what are the rewards you've experienced from all this hard work and investment of your time in building the Lancat? Oh, God, it's absolute time of my life, right? I've had an amazing time and there's been stressful bits and whatever and, and I I didn't really like corporate life very much it wasn't for me and latterly I was I was pretty grumpy uh, what what else do you find that um that is as people we we 
crave little bits of validation and feedback loops. Yes. That's how, that's how games work. That's why gamification works. And when you create a product, let's say as a consultancy, you, you tend to do big projects, but then we also create guides and things that we sell. And whenever you sell one and a little PayPal thing comes up that says somebody checked out and bought your thing, yeah. you're like, awesome. That's great. It's like a little tick. And if somebody drops you a nice note and says, I really enjoyed your event or I really enjoyed that or I like how you guys do this thing or have you ever thought of doing this, then that's awesome too. So it, it kind of enters you into a world where the distance between your actions and feedback are much shorter. Yes. Whereas when you work for large firms, it's sometimes very hard to see the impact of what you do. Um, but all these things are just like little bits, little bits of validation. And it makes you realize that if you work in the big environments, you're starved of that stuff. And one of the things I'm proudest of is that the team we've built up who are unbelievable, right? Or so kind of jammy, uh, which is a Scottish word for lucky. Um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of full of people who've come to realize that themselves. Yes. And then we're trying to find something else. And I love that because they've all, they're all experts. They're time served and they've got nothing to prove in what it is they do for a living. But they wanted to find somewhere where they could make an impact with the stuff that they knew and being able to see that impact. And for advisors, I think it would be being able to see that a client is going to meet their goal or that you know, in a very sad time because advisors have to spend a lot of time with that. I know that they've managed to take away some of the hurt by making things work smoothly through ins- dealing with insurances or estates or whatever it might be. That, that's worth a thousand of the other things. And I don't care if you earn less money. We actually earn more money, but, um, uh, that's not what it's about. It's absolutely about those little bits of validation that kind of make you go, yeah, that's all we need. And as humans, I think that's what we need. And if we can create those little feedback loops, then, then we're game on. Mark, thank you so much for all these fascinating insights into the development of Langcat. I've learned a lot from you today. The focus on simplicity, the cutting through of the crap. You've created a brand in your own words from something that means nothing into something that means a lot. Before we go, let's just go through the quick fire business questions. What's the one thing that you would change about the financial services industry if somebody gave you a magic wand to wave? I think I would remove the need for heavy duty contractual documentation. I think we'd try and make contracts simpler. What's the one business model or a product or an advertising campaign that's caught your attention in the last year? What did you like about it? Oh, what a great question. Uh, I saw something which I just thought connected in an an incredible way. It's got nothing to do with financial services. Is that all right? Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. All right. It was for uh, Google. It was for Gmail. I, I think it's been around a while, actually, but I only saw it in the last year. And it was a dad who'd set a Gmail account up for his daughter and wrote her a message every day about what she'd done that day and all that stuff. And then when she was going to get to 18, then that would be there for her uh, and she could look back. And it was, as a parent, you know, you, you kind of, uh, you watched it. And if you were unmoved by it, then you're a, you're a much harder guy than me. And it was so simple and it connected with something that was true, right? Which is you love your kids. And I, I so rarely see anything that gets a truth that gets it really right Uh, and anytime you see something like that it's it's kind of wonderful tell us about an app or a gadget that's made a huge difference to your working life (sighs) can i do twitter because i don't think my business would be here um, if i didn't have that direct line to talk to people through twitter 
as just be as just a transformational thing for me direct line to talk to people through twitter that is that is exactly what Twitter is. What's the best business book you've ever read, Mark? I'm not sure I've ever really read a business book. I don't know, Catch-22. And finally, if there was somebody from the financial services industry that you would like to hear on the podcast, who would that be? I'd like to hear from somebody who is connected with the industry but isn't of the industry, and that is a client of an advisor. Fantastic idea. And before we sign off, Mark, I'm sure that having listened to all the um, stuff you've had to say today, lots of people are going to want to get in touch with you and get in touch with the Lancat. So what's the best way that people can connect with you? Uh, the website's easy to find. It's lancatfinancial.com. And if you don't fancy that, then the the easiest thing to do is either uh, email me, which is mark at lancatfinancial.com, or on Twitter for reasons lost to history, I'm the actual Polson, uh, P-O-L-S-O-N and um, unsurprisingly Twitter stuff usually gets a pretty fast response. Great stuff. Of course, what I'll do is I'll put all your contact details on the show notes for this podcast, which you'll be able to find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-P-A-F. Mark, thanks so much for talking to me today. Let me wish you and Lancat every success for the future and I hope your speech tonight goes really well, which I'm sure it will. (laughs) Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. If you are a provider or advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model you'd like to talk about, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's all just thoughts and opinions, okay? Okay.